When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for hockey and basketball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. I'm joined by Judd Zolgat of 1500 ESPN's Mackie and Judd Morning Show and Ben Gessling from ESPN.com. Today we're going to go over Mike Zimmer's comments from the owners' meetings down in Florida this week. He had a lot of interesting things to get to. Uh, Then we'll transition into what we learned, three things from free agency. Uh, One positive, negative, one question mark moving forward. A mailbag. You guys had some good questions. Keep bringing them. And then we'll end with the review game. Uh, First time we're bringing up the iTunes review game. Please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes to get involved in this. I think it's fun. I think it'll be a good show. Guys, Mike Zimmer says at the owners' meetings uh, that he doesn't want to be the CEO of a football team in relation to a question of, do you want to continue to call plays? Uh, He still wants to do that. He wants to have his hands all over that defense, yet he still wants to... Uh, at least from what I took away from those comments, be an overall head coach. But he still wants to be a coach, bottom line. This comes in the same week that Chip Kelly, now the head coach over in San Francisco, uh, kind of says, my hands were never dirty in Philadelphia, and I'm going to wipe them off on you reporters and say that I was never the GM, I never uh, dealt with a contract, I never did this, this, and this, just pushing the blame elsewhere. Guys, I think that's just the signs of how two different head coaches can be, and now it's easy for Mike Zimmer to say all the right things when he's still employed by the team. But to me, guys, I think if you had a head coach that wanted more power, very rarely does that work. Very rarely do you have the Bill Belichick full autonomy. Does it work? Uh, Mike Zimmer really doesn't seem to want to do that. Um, so I guess I kick it off to you guys. Uh, is that something that am I reading too much into those comments or is this really a good sign for the Vikings in terms of where that head coach's mindset is? I think it's a great thing because as you said, uh, Kramer, you're right. With uh, Bill Belichick, it works, but that's such a unique circumstance mm-hmm. there. I mean, starting with how Robert Kraft runs that team, but you know, guys, we've seen how many times that a coach starts to get some power. And and you covered one of the Ke- worst well, examples Kelly, of this well, in Green Bay. Kelly uh, Kelly splitting hairs on purpose here. He didn't negotiate contracts. He decided when to end contracts. He said he went as far he, he went as far as to say I was never the GM, which he wasn't. Which Brad, is true. Brad Childress was never the the GM of the Vikings. He had control of the 53-man roster. It's splitting hairs. But the biggest problem that you have with a lot of these guys is they fancy themselves head coach, personnel. I mean, this, in my opinion, to a, a certain degree, because it goes way back, but this started a little bit with Bill Parcells because Parcells wanted more and more control. Mike Holmgren in Green Bay. Mike Holmgren and Ron Wolf had one of the greatest what should have been working relationships ever. Ron Wolf went and got the groceries for mm-hmm. him, and he checked in with Holmgren, and Holmgren coached the team, and it was fantastic. And then what did Mike Holmgren start deciding? 
Oh, I, I want, want more power. control. Uh, in Childress's case, he was completely overmatched, and he but he had final say on that entire roster, and and that's why Spielman at the time, when Spielman was brought in to replace Fran Foley after that disaster, he was given what vice president of uh, player personnel. Yeah, he was basically Brad's right hand man to go get guys. Uh, Mike Zimmer to me though, and I've said this before, the great thing about him is this. If you were to blow the NFL to smithereens tomorrow and say, Mike, it's gone. Your job's gone. The league is gone. And then you were to blow college football up and say, and by the way, college football's gone too. Mike Zimmer would take a breath, take a step back, and go coach Eden Prairie High School. Uh, and, in Illinois. Yes, yeah, I mean, he's State, just yeah. he is just a coach. He wants to coach. Those people, I think, both of you would agree when it comes to head coaches in this league, are few and far between. And somebody in the NFL, I think it was NFL Network, was asking every head coach, what would you do if you weren't a head coach? And Mike Zimmer said, um, I'd probably be a baseball coach. Did you hear, why, <laughs> did you hear what he said after that? No, why I, he'd be a baseball no, coach? No, I didn't. What? He said because you could still chew, or at least <laughs> no, you used to be able to. I saw, yeah. You could still chew. Chew yeah. tobacco. Yep. That That is Mike Zimmer to a T. I, I mean, the whole thing, yes, it's a good thing the way it's set up now. And If I'm Mike Zimmer, I don't think I really want any more than I have now because what we've seen this offseason is Mike Zimmer still has enough sway in that player acquisition cycle of things, either from people listening to him or him and Rick Spielman just looking for the same things. Whatever it is, Mike Zimmer seems to get a lot of what he's looking to get. So if you already have some of that, if you have enough influence on the roster to get what you want and it's not your name that has to be thrown around if you make a bad pick. That seems, you know, more or less like the best of both worlds. I mean, he doesn't have full control, and, and maybe people eventually want that. He doesn't seem like the type that does, but he sort of has a good mix to me of having some control, having the ability to speak into the process without having to be the guy that has to wear it if there's a, a misstep in the draft. Well, yeah, they- and plus, the worst thing, and I saw this play out when I covered the Packers in, I believe it was 2003. Mike Sherman was When Mike awful. Sherman, well, and, and Sherman was, was terrible. And he was given both jobs uh, because Bob Harlan hired Mike Sherman right before, I think, Ron Wolf left. Is that right? Yeah, Ron Wolf and anyway, retired abruptly. And, and I think and, that yeah, so left Wolf, everybody kind of Wolf walks panicking. out, and, and Bob Harlan, who was president of the Packers at the time, said I had to give him, in my mind, both titles because if I didn't and I went and hired a GM, that guy was going to fire the guy I just hired as my coach. Which he did uh, eventually. Well, he did. Yep. But the way that that played out and the thing that I saw on the front line and the thing that no, that 90% of the coaches can't handle and they don't realize it is this. Uh, in 2003, Mike McKenzie, cornerback for the Packers, was coming off a very good year and wanted a redone contract. Well, guess what? Mike Sherman was the coach of the team and also the GM. So he was seen as the bad guy. And the way that Childress and Mike Sherman and those guys lose locker rooms is not that they're necessarily seen as incompetent coaches. It's that they're seen as, well, hold on a second. I'm supposed to play my butt off for you all week long. And then when I want a contract, I walk upstairs and you're sitting in that chair too. I mean, Rick Spielman can be as far as, as Zimmer is concerned to the players on this roster, the devil. He can be Lucifer. He can be Satan. It doesn't matter. You saw him do that with the Adrian Peterson Well, I was going to say, the yeah. a- I guarantee you, boys, that if Mike Zimmer ran the entire operation as far as personnel decisions go, Adrian Peterson's not here now. It would not have been workable because Peterson would have seen Zimmer as the bad guy, too. What Mike Zimmer could do was to say, Adrian, I love you. I can't control this. I mean... Mark my words. There were times when Mike Zimmer probably um, uh, badmouthed Spielman behind Spielman's back with Peterson there. Not because Spielman cares. It's good cop, bad cop. It's yeah. that simple. It works. That makes sense. Yeah, and bringing that back to the now when we're talking about just front office structures in general, you see it oftentimes like in Philadelphia. They go back-to-back 10-6. and six. They listen to the head coach say, I want more power. He gets more power. It blows up. 
Um, and you think you look at the Vikings now at that 11 and five point where they're trying to sustain that success now moving forward. Right now, we're just kind of uh, projecting it. But I think when you look at the Vikings, my key point was that they have that hierarchy in place where a couple years ago when Leslie Frazier was still here, they had that triangle, that awkward structure that really triangle of authority. Exactly. That's you, coined by Kevin Seifert. And then you kind of pass the baton was around really? like Blaine when something didn't yeah. go right. I did not know he coined that uh, term. Kevin was uh, the legend is that uh, that Kevin shortly after all these guys got in place. Kevin sat down with like Ziggy or Mark Will for somebody with the Vikings, and he said, "Explain your power structure," because it made no sense. Yeah, and they basically, I believe the story Kevin told me was the person basically drew a triangle and said, "Okay, this guy's here and this guy's here," and Kevin, I think Kevin from that, I don't think that person ever uttered the words. I think Kevin, who's who's very smart and savvy came up with that term. And in fact, there was a time in the Star Tribune where triangle of authority was all uppercase. Yeah, I was going to say that, I mean, it's become like part of the Vikings canon. I had no idea that was him. I I thought that was a Wilf buzzword. No, I think that was Seifert. Uh, The two greatest things that, that when I worked the beat with Kevin, he came up with that one. And he's also the one that asked Childress the question that fateful day about does this offense really work? And he got that. This is a kick ass -ass offense offense answer. No one came up with a pyramid scheme. No one came up with that one because I think that that to me popped out when we were drawing. Somebody who actually draws up the triangle in front of you, you just go wait, wait. That, that's a Kevin might have thought of that, but you wouldn't get that past your bosses at yeah, that point course, because it'd be course. seen. <laughs> so yeah, but he was at one point I believe he was even capitalizing triangle of authority. It was great. Wow, that's funny. Um, and Benny brought up the to close the book on this. Benny brought up the best point I thought in saying that Mike Zimmer does clearly have a strong voice in the room. Drafting Anthony Barr ninth overall, a corner at number eleven, and Trey Wayne's that he handpicked. Um, I think, yeah, if you've got that, if you've got a boss's ear, uh, why fight for more? Is this like around the horn where I get the the, the lead? No, of my, not at all. Point? No, no, I, no, I don't make no any points. I'm, I'm just telling you guys you make great points. That was it. That was it. Um, moving forward, guys, free agency is done over with, essentially, with the Vikings. We don't expect them to make many more moves short of maybe signing Chad Greenway back if and when that happens. Um the big moves, offensive line, obviously they address those. We've been over that. Judd, I want to start off with you and just telling me one thing that you took away from a positive in terms of their free agency approach, uh, one negative, and one question mark, one thing that you still are wondering about as they enter the really the draft period. I've been waiting a week for this. <laughs> uh, let me see. I wrote this down last week, and I think I can recall I had my positive as actually being under-the-radar boys, special teams. If you look at the guys they retain and they signed, it's pretty clear to me that they said they want to upgrade special teams. They made some, and I mean, these aren't big names, but these are guys who I think they're going to get contributions. So I think um, if I'm the Vikings, I'm very pleased right now about the fact that you go to training camp with pretty good uh, competition there, depth there. I think special teams is a positive because I think it's better. My negative might not be past the draft, but right now, Wide receiver. There's just question marks there. I mean, we're talking about Diggs right now being atop the depth chart. Well, he's still a fifth-round pick from last year. He's still a young guy. It doesn't mean that he won't be good, but if you look at this receiver unit right now, there's still work to be done there. So I would say that's that's, that's my negative right now, subject to change. And my question mark, actually, is going to be a lot of people's positives, and I like where they're going with this, but I still have questions about it. Offensive line. Offensive line. Khalil's a question mark at left tackle, right? Um, Left guard is now set. Center, though, question mark, Berger or Sullivan. Right guard, question mark, because Fusco goes back there but might have to compete. And right tackle. So I like where they're – I love the fact they've addressed the offensive line. I think they've upgraded it. My question, though, is by how much? Ben? My positive – to kind of piggyback off of that, my positive is the offensive line, not necessarily in the players they have, but in the fact that they didn't sit there and say, well, we're getting John Sullivan back. We're probably getting Phil Lodeholt back. We can move Brandon Fusco back over. We can you know, tinker around with some things there. Matt Khalil's headed in the right direction. There was not any of this like, okay, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. We can just keep kind of going with things the way they are and we'll get better. Mike Zimmer basically said, this isn't good enough, and I'm not going to put up with it. I'm going to change offensive line coaches. I'm going to get a guy in here that can rattle some cages a little bit. He's pretty much said that that's what he wants from Tony Sperano. And then we're going to go out and get a guy in free agency in Alex Boone that should do that a little bit too. So 
the fact that they at least tried, the fact that they did as much as they probably could have within reason to create competition on that offensive line, whether it works or not is going to be a question for several months from now. But the fact that they're at least trying is my positive. The negative to me is that you are still in a position where you're not quite sure, I don't think, what they have at safety. Mike Zimmer, when he talked about the safety position this week, he said some nice things about Michael Griffin, but I don't really think he gave off the impression that, yeah, this is completely settled. We're good to go now. We got the guy that that I'm looking for with Harrison Smith. It's possible they did. I think Griffin has some of the qualities that they're looking for in that safety next to Harrison Smith, but I don't sit there and say, okay, yes, this position is settled and they're good to go now. So that the fact that we still are sort of in this kind of in-between phase with that position, do they need to address it in the draft? What's going to happen there? That's a little bit of a negative for me. The question mark, I guess, you could probably say the safety is the question mark too, but I mean, wide receiver is the one that, that sticks out to me because now you don't have a number one, really. I mean, maybe Stephon Diggs is that guy, but you still don't have, to me, the over-the-top guy that can go up and, and over the top of a defensive back and take the ball away. If you get it in the draft, okay, but then you're asking a rookie to come in and fill that role, or you're counting on a guy like Charles Johnson or Cordell Patterson. It just doesn't feel to me like there's a lot of proven commodities in that group, and there wasn't a lot to pick from in free agency, but you're still in a, in a position where that position is not completely settled. Those are good points. Yeah, I think Mike Zimmer, too, said this week as well. Uh, didn't he say something along the lines of um, that he still believes Charles Johnson can do the kind yes. of things, the number one, I mean, kind of things in yes, terms of wide receiver, be the prominent guy? Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, you guys, I think the only one, there's only one that I have that didn't fall in line with what you guys were just talking about. My positive would be your question, Mark Judd. Um, the interior offensive line, I think, got a lot better just because you add Alex Boone to that mix because mm-hmm. now you solidify the left guard spot. You open up competition on the right guard between both of your starting guards from last year, and then you know Joe, uh, Joe Berger. Then basically you free up Joe Berger to be that backup center should you need it for John Sullivan. So I think that that was the biggest thing. Um, and really, to me, the question mark, uh, to skip over the negative, which is uh, something different, but the, the question mark to me is the offensive tackle position in general. Uh, you bring in Andre Smith, but as one of our mailbag questions is, why is everybody so excited about this guy? Uh, and, and a friend of mine, too, was just saying um, <clears throat> earlier this week, uh, did anybody know this guy before this week? Or are we just all excited now in terms of Vikings fans? Are you just right. all excited now because it's a new guy? And that's exactly what it is. Uh, outside of, um, really, there isn't one solidified guy. You don't know what Matt Khalil is moving forward. He has to prove himself. You don't know how Phil Odholt's going to come off this Achilles injury. And you don't know how Andre Smith's going to come in to a new team for the first time in his professional career. So that's the question mark. The negative to me, um, is that they're putting a lot of bets, at least, or not bets, because they structure these contracts uh, wisely with Rob Brzezinski, but they are putting at least some faith in guys coming off injuries. Um, whether it's Red Ellison, who they re-signed, Phil Odholt, who they re-signed, um, Audi Cole, who they re-signed, coming off a fractured ankle, John Sullivan, who they are keeping currently, uh, I don't believe any's guaranteed, but at like a $5.8 million cap hit, correct? And yep. so you've got all these kind of guys that are really coming off some of them debilitating injuries and you don't know how they're going to fare. And to me, Red Ellison's a big one where he was one of their main contributors they could lean on last season. And now if you don't have him, that's, that's a lot of production you have to find elsewhere. They did get some insurance there last week when they, they signed Brian Leonard. I mean, I, that at least will address some of what Red Ellison does, but yeah, there is a, a question there. Absolutely. So I think that's just the one negative for me where it's like, okay, now you got to see how that plays out. It's probably more of a question mark than a true negative. Um, but that's just kind of moving forward. Forward. I didn't even bring up wide receiver, as you guys said, which is basically, okay, it's unaddressed moving into the draft. All right, let's get into some uh, – well, first of all, actually, before we get into the mailbag questions, was there anything that stuck out to you guys from Zimmer's comments that we haven't talked about? He was fantastic. Because he was. I thought he was really, you really good. You wrote an entire column for 1500 Well, I had to drive Rick Spielman absolutely crazy. <laughs> I mean, his can. I mean, Rick – I, I wrote this, and I'm not kidding you. If you went to Rick Spielman on a Tuesday – and you had just woke up and been asleep for 80 years, and you asked Rick candidly, all right, Rick, here's what I need to know. What day of the week is this? And he felt you didn't know it was Tuesday. 
he would beat around the bush. He'd be like, ah, you know, I mean, uh, yesterday was uh, Monday. Yeah, you know, we're going to move on to Wednesday and blah, blah, blah. And he might never tell you that it, it was Tuesday. So it's got to drive him up the wall that Mike Zimmer sits there for 53 minutes and pretty damn candidly answers questions. And here's what I love about that guy. Here's what here's to me what makes Zimmer fantastic. So he's sitting at the table completely relaxed there was one point where he got texted he got a text message and he pulls out his cell phone and if zimmer doesn't want you to know something he won't tell you or show you he takes his phone and seifert's right to his left and he steers it away from seifert and he takes so mike takes his phone and he puts it like i think below the table or something to look at at the text because he didn't he knew that people might look so my point being zimmer is as candid as he wants to be so it's not like he's like, oh, he's I'm, very aware. Apparently. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's not like, whoa, did I answer that question that way? He knows what his answer is. It's just that his answer is fairly truthful. And this all goes back to the fact that when is the last time you guys heard a professional coach in any sport apologize to the media for lying about who was going to start at safety, which Mike Zimmer did this season? He apologized to the media. I don't know how... Sorry, he was about the fact that he lied. No, he I, wasn't. I think he but was, my, it was somewhat. He wasn't trouble. sorry about it. But my point is, most coaches would take like if if Brad Childress got called on that same thing, and you said, "Brad, you lied to us. What happened?" He would be giddy about the fact that he had lied that he got one over and on got one over. Yeah, yeah. Rick probably Zimmer, would too. Yes, exactly. But my point is, Mike Zimmer candidly wanted to tell you, "I didn't want to have to do that, but I did." That's what makes him different. Well, and the thing too is that. He comes out. I mean, the the fun thing about covering Mike Zimmer is, whenever you ask him a question, and there's and you can hear it in that tape when there's this little there's this like four or five second pause. It's okay. I am gathering my thoughts. I'm I'm trying probably it's one of two things. I'm trying to send a message that is aimed specifically at one of my players, or. I'm trying to make it so that I don't go off the rails and say what I really want to say in a way that probably can't be printed in a newspaper. So I'm going to try to translate that into something that's a little less of a a blue take, I guess. But and he'll often like think these things out out yeah. loud, saying, yes. "Wait, wait, wait, I can't say that," and turning like to Bob or the PR guy, like, "What, what should I say?" His okay. offensive line <laughs> quote was absolutely fantastic. Well, when, the setup was awesome too. Seifert, he said, "All right." I've thought about this one. I got a quote for you. That's a and go-to yeah, he line goes of and his. Sets it up, and yeah. you can hear Seifert in the background saying, "It was either Seifert or Hagen. I don't know C- which." C- no, Seifert reads the time yep. on his recorder to track it because because yep. Mike said, "I got one for you," yeah, and, and that's you, when he goes on. And that was know. a great quote about the offensive line wasn't tough. And to Ben's point, and then the finish of it too. But to your point too, that was very much a message to the guys coming back, yep. like Khalil. Guess what? In his opinion, you were wusses last year, yeah. so you better toughen up. Well, and then the finish of that, he goes, "See, that was pretty good, right?" I mean, <laughs> he, he has he he will sit there and tell you that he has better things to do with his time, and I think that's probably what he thinks. That there's probably always something he could be doing to coach his team that has a more direct impact on winning games than talking to us. But I do think he enjoys some of the of the back and forth and just that that kind of dance with us of he's. He strikes, me, and, he strikes me a little bit like a base, yes. baseball guy. I said that like for a couple of years. He could sit there, and I think he genuinely likes to BS and shoot the breeze. Mm-hmm. Um, Not no, at a podium. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. And no football coach wants to get into injuries and things like that. But I think if you just sat there and said, Mike, let's just talk football, and let's not do it with a microphone in front of you and cameras – He's pretty good. He's gotten a lot better, too, with the podium in general. I mean, now that we're on this topic, I just think, too, when we're talking about Mike Zimmer as a head coach, the first time he was very uncomfortable when the cameras are in his face, and he was so much better uh, with just the reporters. Now it's kind of, I don't know, when he gets the cameras around, it's not so bad. Well, but at the same time, when we get him, the the print guys, for those people out there that don't know how the sausage is made and care, the, the print guys get Mike Zimmer every Thursday, not at a podium, not in front of cameras. And those sessions are typically when we get the best stuff from him. Those are especially good, I think, in training camp where he goes kind of behind the, the practice field, sits yeah. in his cart, and will kind of just talk open-ended about things for a while. And that's very much like a baseball manager does, you know, kind of on Sunday mornings a lot of times yeah. when they're sitting in the clubhouse and they can just kind of put their feet up and relax and, and talk and, and tell stories. And, and that really is 
from the, from the perspective of somebody that covers Mike Zimmer, that's a lot of fun because you get a lot of more of a window into how he thinks, how things get done around the league, and, and sort of what the Vikings' philosophy is going to be just because he's willing to let you in a little bit more than he is at a podium. Three uh, three things that struck me, though, from that uh, that session were his comments on, on the offensive line where I thought he was very candid about how disappointed he was by yep. their play. Uh, his comments about Mike Wallace and Bridgewater and the fact that he now, if he didn't realize before, he now d- knows that bringing in a high-priced wide receiver is not going to fix your ills if your quarterback can't remain upright. And also I thought it was interesting how he talked about Wallace. He said we brought in a high-priced guy and that didn't work. But then he also came back and praised Wallace for keeping his mouth shut last season. And then I thought the third thing that was just fantastic was somebody said, do you think you have a top-five defense? And he looked and laughed at him and said, absolutely not. That was pretty good too. But I would guess the Vikings could win a Super Bowl, uh, finish first overall in total defense, run defense, and pass defense, and you could go and ask that same question. And Mike Zimmer will never say, <laughs> no, yes, you, we're great. You would say we've got a long ways to go. Yes. We're not areas. the 85 Bears. We're not the 2,000 Ravens. Yes. Therefore, we're not good enough. We're not the all-time best. And even if they were, uh, somehow he would probably find a way to diminish that. Um, this segment has been brought to you by the Mike Zimmer Fan Club, held every week uh, in the Hubbard Broadcasting Center. <laughs> guy's so candid. It's great. <laughs> I'm a fan. I mean, I ordinarily... I'm, I'm ordinarily very skeptical of coaches, and and they all do lie to a certain yeah. degree. But this guy, I mean, look at the list of guys. I mean, he, Childress, you know, was Childress. Les was a good guy, but you never felt like he really had control of things. Yes. And I just love I love the fact that Mike Zimmer walks into a building with football people, you know, Spielman, lie, 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 Brzezinski, button up. And that's fine. That's That's how they work. And Zimmer's like, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to tell you what I think. It's got to drive those people nuts. Well, and, and the thing is, he's done it long enough that... There's a confidence in his own skin. Yes, right? and there was a, there's a bit of a, okay, I tried playing the game. I tried sitting down for all these interviews, and it didn't work. Now that I've got my chance, this is going to be my one chance, probably. I'm either going to be here for a really long time and win a lot, or I'm going to be gone, and then probably nobody's going to hire me in my 60s after it didn't work out the first time. So there's a there's an idea that, all right, I'm going to do it my way, and if people don't like it, then somebody else can try it. All right, let's transition into a mailbag um, where basically it's just straightforward. Going to answer some questions. Uh, appreciate you guys sending all these to. I'm not popular enough to have to sort through my mentions very much, so you guys don't need to do a hashtag. Just send us questions uh, at Andrew underscore Kramer, and uh, we'll get them answered on this podcast every week. Guys, Jack wants to know, how serious should the Vikings be about taking a wide receiver with their first-round draft pick? Ben, I'll start with you. First-round pick, I don't know. They should take one, and I think they should probably take one in the first two days of the draft. But I think there's enough depth there that I'm not sure that that should be the pick necessarily. I don't think it will be the pick. I, The more I think about this, the more I could see them saying, okay, let's go get another piece for our defense or another lineman. I, I feel like... From what Mike Zimmer has said and from what I've heard from a couple of the people this offseason that there's a thought of, okay, if we get a couple things to work out, we might be all right. And I don't know that I completely agree with that from the perspective of what they should do, but I think from the perspective of what they will do, I could see them doing something else with their first pick. And I, you know, getting back to what they should do, I don't know if that is necessarily the biggest need that you have. I mean, it's a need. We've we've talked on this podcast for weeks and certainly today about the fact that it's a need, but I think there's enough depth that you could go in another direction with that first pick and come back to that position maybe in the second or third round. Judd? I've been giving this way too much thought. Um, I'm soft. <laughs> Probably because I just rambled for like a minute and a half and you had time to no, think no, about Judd, it on your own. No, no, I've been thinking about this for like January days. 9th when they lost. I've been thinking about this for three 10. days. I'm softening to taking a wide receiver, but – you have to come to me with a certain plan, and that's this. I don't want anybody who you start off with, he's really athletic. Anyone who can run really fast, but I'm working with him, Troy Williamson. Uh, Mackie tells me the kid from Notre Dame, is it Fuller, the wide yes. receiver? Yeah, Will, Will Fuller. Really fast, but he might drop the ball. I don't want anyone like that. If you can assure me you're getting, you're giving me a wide receiver who is a wide re- is a football player first, I'm softening to it. But here's my idea. If you think you can potentially find Matt Khalil's replacement, 
draft him with that 23rd pick because you got no fallback right now. There's no plan in place. And if your left tackle goes catastrophic, it's over. And if the plan is to put Alex Boone out there, I'm not sure no. that's a great idea either. No. We saw that we saw the Packers try that in week 17 with Josh Sitton. It didn't work. So I would, if you think you can get a viable, and this might be tough at 23, but if you think you can get a viable tackle and develop him and he can step in, because if, if Khalil's done, he's done, uh, I would do that. And then to Ben's point, wide receiver second or third round. Now, so, but if you come to me and say, okay, Josh Doxson is the real deal, and he's great, and he's fantastic, it's the 23rd pick. I'm not going to bitch about it a lot. Uh, but I would really like to see a backup plan for Matt Khalil because there's no guarantee, boys, this works. Yeah. None. Yeah, based on what Mike Zimmer said, too, Ben, I have to agree with you that it just seems like uh, the vibes coming out of Winter Park this offseason, that first-round wide receiver, while they're looking at them clearly, I don't think it's something that necessarily tops their board um, when we're talking about all the – the positives they see in guys like Stefan Diggs and even still Charles Johnson. I do think, to Judd's point, if you're going to take one, can we get like a no knucklehead guarantee? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, you... Actually, here's here's my parameter. That was a, a Wayne's World reference for the three people listening to this podcast yes. old enough to get it. What if he honks in the car? I'm giving you a no honk guarantee. And and to your point right there, here here's what I want. Kramer's so lost right now. It's like 12. I'm not lost. I just he, know when I can't contribute. He's 12 years old. It's not his fault. Anyway, here's what I want. If you haven't seen Wayne's World, it is your fault. You're old enough to have seen Wayne's Let's World's get this fixed there. by next Stan week. Stan Makita. Ben's right. Oh, it's Stan Makita's Donuts. Uh, here's what I need. If you're going to take a wide receiver in the first round, a guarantee that that guy comes in and competes for the number one job on the depth chart from day one. If he can't do that, I don't want him. I don't want anyone who's even remotely a project. The... The wide rec- if they take a wide receiver in the first round, the only excuse I want to hear is he doesn't know our playbook yet. I want someone who's a precise route runner. I want someone who's smart. I want someone who can catch the ball. I don't want anything to do with anyone I have to develop as a project. The last yeah. two receivers you took in the first round were a guy that had attitude and character questions and then a guy that had football background and knowledge questions right after you traded the guy with the attitude and character questions because you were desperate and needed to take a receiver. That's what I mean by no knucklehead zone. Don't I love it. go in yes. and say, I mean, kind of what you're saying, that, oh, there's this great upside if we just manage this and that. No. We've been down that road. I know that position is sort of fraught with those types of guys for whatever reason, but this needs to be a point now where you get a guy in here that you don't have to worry about and whose hand you don't have to hold. It has to be somebody who, when the 2016 season comes to an end, probably led you in receptions yeah if it's not that i don't want to yeah. well and this is a franchise that just found stefan diggs in the fifth round and a general manager who just said at the combine the receivers will be there uh there's a lot of different flavors so it makes could be smokescreen could be uh we don't need a receiver that early uh nicholas wants to know is this a draft year the vikings could benefit by trading back and he hashtags 10 picks boy nicholas you know this team so well Judd, <laughs> what do you think uh, depending on what position you're going to go after, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to take a wide receiver and, and it's a deep field of wide receivers, uh, if you've identified a tackle who's a little bit of a project but you like him and think, you know, I mean, 23 is not a great uh, position to start off with. So, yes, I would say knowing Rick Spielman's philosophy in the draft that that might make some sense to bail back, get another pick or two, and still be able to take the guy that, that you want, for instance, say – really late first round yeah and the only thing i would say to this is that trading back sure but i imagine them trying to stay in that first round as much as possible knowing how much they value the fifth year options they do and i sort of wondered if they would try to get a couple picks and then make the swing back into the first round the the thing is that's a lot harder to do we and we saw it a couple years ago they had the 23rd pick and they did it to come back into the first round and we saw what they gave up to get cordero patterson if you have a couple of the people's picks that are high in the second round maybe but if you're trying to come from the 23rd pick in the second round back into the first, you have to give up a lot. So that might be a little tougher this year. But, yes, I do think they would try to stay in the first round because of that fifth-year option. I, I could see them going down a couple picks, though, and, and trying to get you know a couple more for, for later in the draft. Uh, staying on topic of the wide receivers anyway, Matt wants to know, is there any chance the Vikings swing a trade for Josh Gordon? Ben? Uh, I will, I'll refer to my previous comments about no knuckleheads. I, boy, Mike Zimmer's not going to put himself through. I don't think so. I just, I mean, yes, I, I get why everybody says that because Norv and Scott Turner have both worked with him, but I just, it was a I great don't year know. for Josh too. It was great Did year. Shermer coach him. Or was I that would 
think I am, so. Actually, I believe so. Yeah. 2011 and When he would have been the head 12. coach, right? Well, then they absolutely years? won't trade for him because you got someone who uh, who knows him. Also yeah. knows him. So if Norv Too says, well, I'm really excited about this, Sherman will say, no, no, you're not. Well, and, and Norv probably, Norv I mean, Norv and Scott both worked with them too, and, and you're probably at a point where you have enough data on this guy that you should know if he can clean it up and turn it around. And you know everybody says this because of the association with Norv Turner, but that association could also mean we know enough about this guy that we're not going to touch him. Has Gordon gone through treatment, by the way, boys? I, I honestly don't know the answer to this. Well, I have know? no idea what he's done lately. I know he has been through treatment before, right. and he had just obviously served a one-year suspension. Hey, he's just, he's one but of those, he's only like 25 years yeah, old. Yeah, but he's one of those guys that strikes me that that his life is such a train wreck that until he gets that on track, and why would you want, why would as talented as he might be on the field, why would you want to plant that in your locker room? And as you guys know, yeah, you start to add, to Ben's word, you start to add knuckleheads, that can start to inf- infect other guys yeah it has a way of mike zimmer doesn't spreading. like bs this would be a lot of no BS. and this is a franchise too before they hired mike zimmer that dealt with the chris cooks aj jefferson's aaron henderson's dealt jerome Simpson, jerome and they well, basically have not brought in those kinds of guys back or signed those kinds of and guys. don't and don't forget too year one in the stadium do you really do you really want to roll the dwi dice because yeah, every no. time a Viking gets a DWI, that's an A1 story in this town. And people will point at ownership and say, we gave you the stadium and you've gave got these. $500 cor- million. Dollars. Yeah. I can't see anybody who has real power here going along with that. Judd, Charlie wants to know, reconcile Teddy saying I did well for what I was asked to do with Zimmer saying he needs to be more explosive. Um. Well, I think it's very fair on both sides. I mean, Teddy... I think Teddy was put in a difficult situation, gentlemen. I really do. I think there was a large part of that season where he had an expectation for what he was going to be asked to do. I mean, I I fault the Vikings coaching staff in this sense. The fact that they didn't understand Peterson's limitations more so and how that would affect their quarterback is their fault. That game plan, as good as the season was, and as much as I respect Zimmer, that game plan going to opening night in San Francisco was awful. I mean, that, that was inexcusable. And you hadn't played Peterson in the preseason. And you had, you really, if you got, if you pumped Norv Turner full of truth serum, he would tell you, I had no idea. And he didn't. Uh, so I think Teddy, to his point, for a large part of the season is correct in what he said. Does he need to be better? Absolutely. And Zimmer's right. I mean, ultimately now, but Mike Zimmer, keep in mind, Mike Zimmer now went out and hired Shermer, Sperano. And he's got Turner, and so he also realizes that offense did not run nearly as well as it should have on several levels last season. So I can reconcile both those together. I do think the coaching staff, though, day one this year needs to put their quarterback in a far better position protection-wise and also with Adrian to say this is all about Teddy. This is not about you, Adrian. This is not about the line being sieves. This is about you all doing your job so Teddy can do his. Ben? When Teddy said that and kind of some of the things I've I've heard over the course of the year and a little bit after the year, that kind of struck me as a given the constraints that were placed on me that I did a pretty good job, that this was not necessarily a team that was set up first and foremost to make me successful. And given what was going on around me with the scheme and, and everything else, I felt like I did a pretty good job with what I was asked to do. I I think it's interesting that Mike Zimmer also said yesterday or earlier this week, he talked about he talked a lot about Norv and talking about Norv being willing to change, but he also made a point of talking about how that's why I have Norv here to help me and Pat and Tony. He, he's he's putting two position coaches that none of us really think are going to be just position coaches in the same sentence as his offensive coordinator in terms of how that person can help him, that to me says that these guys are going to have some influence and I think that is going to be something that they try to make work for Teddy Bridgewater. I think there's going to be a push to say, let's find things that work for him. Let's not just necessarily do the things that we want to do schematically, but let's make this something that works for Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, the biggest thing to me, just kind of parsing through the actual comments itself, I think it's possible that 
Um, Teddy wasn't asked to do all that much, and yet he was still hesitant with what he was asked to do at times. And Yeah, know, I mean, think there was some of that. Can I you blame a 23-year-old behind that offensive line that was allowing some of the highest pressure rates in the league? I mean, that's that's something where I think both statements can absolutely be true, where he can be less hesitant on some of his throws, and obviously they want to fix some of the mechanics stuff with him as well. Um, and also wanting to let him loose maybe a bit more or having that offense pivot toward the quarterback more so than the running back. Well, and with Mike Wallace, there was certainly a feeling in some corners of the organization that this guy should have been able to be more productive not for things that he did wrong but for things that didn't work around him there were times I mean Teddy missed him a couple times deep but there were also times where they had deep shots called that they weren't able to get to because nobody else across the field from Mike Wallace was getting open to take any coverage away and the offensive line wasn't protecting well enough to give Teddy Bridgewater a chance to find him downfield so some of that is also in play here too, where we look at Teddy Bridgewater and say, okay, the deep balls aren't there. He hasn't been able to throw downfield well enough. And yes, there are times where they need to see more of that, but they also felt like things went wrong to prevent that passing game from being more explosive. That weren't necessarily Teddy Bridgewater's fault. But don't you guys both think too, that in some ways, I mean, they reported a training camp a week before everybody else. Yep. So you're talking were, were they in camp six weeks, basically? I mean, a former yeah. camp, either Mankato or... Uh, yeah, it felt uh, like about Eden six Prairie. months. <laughs> but it was about six weeks. Of course weeks. it did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about this. Think about how many practices they conducted to prepare for a season that they then, then basically aborted in week two because... Offensively, first, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they literally, they literally did not work on what became their offensive scheme, passing wise. Yeah. Passing wise, yeah. very much because it was all done. I mean, Teddy, I guarantee you, Teddy Bridgewater reported to Mankato last year, thinking I'm going to be working on a shotgun a lot. I'm going to have 28 right by me. This is going to be great. And then they play one game, and 28 says, "Oh, I can't really do this." So, so I fault the coaching staff for that because you had a plan that you worked on that you then had to abandon. Because it turned out your star running back really couldn't participate in that plan. Yeah, that's well, right. Mike as, Zimmer said it. Oh. I, th- I think we're both going to say the same thing. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say as a reporter, I lament seeing all those shotgun snaps during the OTAs and training camp and not saying, um, Adrian's never really – like we saw that all the time. And thinking back on it now, it's obvious. Yeah. To, to As a reporter, you should have also foreseen that and went, wait a minute. It, this is something where can they marry this? But we didn't know until week one. But I think we asked that question a few times. I mean, I can remember writing a couple times about how – Adrian will have to adjust in this offense because it hasn't really been there for him. True, I but guess they kind of said, "Yeah, it's fine. He'll be okay. It's not really that different." I felt like, at least speaking for me, I, I bought into a little bit the "he'll be fine," like you know, like because thinking, "Oh, it's Adrian. Like he should be able to and he'll catch more passes." I mean, I bought into that. Yeah. Oh, he'll catch some more passes, and yeah. I never thought when you watched that first game at San Francisco and realized just how dysfunctional it looked, yeah. like I never saw that coming. That's, uh, that's what I think I, I meant. Ne- yeah. I didn't to that close. degree of severity. I mean, yeah. it lo- it lo- that was the definition of, what is it, a square peg and a round hole. Yeah. I mean, you were it was like you had two different functioning offenses going on simultaneously. And ben, well, you and were- Mike Zimmer, I think, it's basically said it. I remember asking him in a season-ending press conference about how things went with Adrian and he kind of said you know we probably should have maybe played him in a couple preseason games now if if you do that and he tears his ACL you're going to get you know burned at the stake obviously but Mike Zimmer kind of said in in hindsight I probably should have done more to get Adrian comfortable in the offense and I put that on myself a little bit you could tell that I think even he was probably a little surprised by how much they had to throw out the window after week one and had to adjust the whole thing. Yeah, and Ben, to your point, you're right. I do recall everybody basically writing that, hey, this offense changed without Adrian. Can he jump back in? But my, yeah, I just feel like a lot of us went, oh, yeah, he'll do it, just like the Vikings did. Yeah, and there was also a <laughs> chorus from some people, of, oh, it's Adrian. They're going to do what, it, what what Adrian does well, and this guy is one of the great running backs in the league, and they'll, they'll and they eventually incorporate had to do that. that. They yeah, did. Yeah. But there was a feeling at the time, too, of, yeah, there's – there's no reason to, to fret about an adjustment here. No. All right, guys. Jeremy would like to know, who's going to be the odd man out between Phil Lothold, Andre Smith, or Matt Khalil? Uh, ben? It's not going to be Matt Khalil. No. <laughs> Got 11.1 million reasons why it's not Matt Khalil. Here's a parting gift for Matt Khalil, $11 million. <laughs> I would that be it, something if they cut him like <laughs> September 1st? Eat. No, they'd cut <laughs> him on a Friday in late July money. as a news dump. Oh, of course, yeah, of course. It would have to be a Friday. 
I would say the Lord Holt of those three, um, just because I think you know, the, number one, the contract, and number two, I think coming back from that injury, they are not in a position now where they have to count on him. And I think there's going to be an, an onus on him to say, yeah, I can still play. But if any of those guys is gone, I think Lord Holt would be the most likely one to be the guy. It wouldn't surprise me if he actually gets let go in the first cuts, which would be a little bit surprising. But I think they like him as a person, and this is a classic. We'll give you a chance to catch on somewhere. Um, but if you look at what, if you look at the competition for that spot, they've got you know Mike Harris might compete what with Fusco at right guard, but he can now play tackle. So Smith's certainly going to be the starter on the opening day of training camp. So it very well might turn out to, to be Mike Harris is behind both the right guard and right tackle. T.J. Clemmings is still there. Too. Yeah, exactly. So I think load hold. I think the odds are very great that he's actually let go early to try to get a job. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, it's it's the battle between right tackle with Andre Smith, and it ties into another question um, that Josh asks: uh, Why are we so excited about Andre Smith? Uh, I have low expectations. Tell me what I am missing, guys. Andre Smith ninth was he sixth overall Six, pick sixth overall. in two thousand nine? That's yeah. what it was. Um, he's somebody who started five straight years at right tackle and the Bengals were willing to kind of let him walk in free agency after he had told I read a story in the Cincinnati Inquirer last summer where Andre Smith says I'm tired of being mediocre and so that just kind of sets the table for what his run in Cincinnati was I think he's a guy that could help them at a position of need and that's why people are excited the fan base anyway but I don't think anybody's expecting before he signed and when he left and thought I was going to have this visit with Arizona, I was trying to tell people like, this isn't going to make or break their season. Right. I mean, this is, this is a guy who's coming and help maybe affect their draft uh, approach a little bit, but Ben, I don't see this guy as being really a make or break player, but he's somebody that could certainly help. Yeah, he certainly can help. And I think some of the excitement about him came from the fact that there was a lot of coverage of his free agent visit. I mean, certainly I was part of that, but you know, I think anytime a guy's coming in this time of year, the way we cover things in this day and age, there's a lot of focus about, okay, are we going to get him or are we going to not get him? And then you don't really stop to pay as much attention to, okay, if we get him, how much is this really going to help? It's this thing of, does he like us? Does he like us? We does like, he like us? And, and people like new. Just new. And yeah. You see that every offseason with all the terrible teams, the Browns. Sure. I mean, everybody that – There's a novelty to it. Well, we'll bring in somebody new, and then they're going to be way better than they were before wherever they were at, and it was all the other places' fault. People eat that stuff up. But, yeah. but yes, there is – Selling hope. Yep. And, uh, yeah, there's certainly a question of how good he's going to be, and I think uh, – yeah, I mean, there's probably not a ton of reason to think that he's going to be, you know – the second coming of Anthony Munoz or somebody like that. No, and but, it's not Andre Smith's fault that people get excited about something new. Yeah. It's whatever he's going to be, he will help at a position of need. Two things. Uh, he's a top 10 pick, so draft Knicks say this guy was once a top 10 pick, which excites people uh, no matter how successful or unsuccessful you might have been. And I think the other thing, in fairness, is his name is not T.J. Clemmings. I mean, people watch Clemmings struggle, and, and – I defend the kid. He was a defensive lineman, what, three years ago, two years yeah, ago at Pittsburgh, ago. Yep. and he was put into a situation that he really, if you if you look at that offensive line last year and say, okay, let's parcel out blame. Well, Macklil can play better. Fusco, you would think, could have played better. TJ Clemmings was asked to do a ton by a coaching staff that was probably not fair, so I think the excitement there is partially now. you got a veteran right tackle uh, back in there, and TJ Clemmings not being in there will make people happy. All right, guys, we got one more question uh, coming in from one of our loyal listeners. Yinka, I'm trying to find the question, sorry. So loyal. The one, the one loyal. Um, no, I'm trying to find the question, scrolling through. i uh, got so many tweets. Uh, what are the new ways the Vikings can marry the Teddy and AP relationship besides just working out of the gun and pistol? Quote, can they, or comma, can they innovate? Now, Mike Zimmer had said something also down at the NFC Coaches Breakfast about how uh, they are looking for ways to marry this still, and they are looking for ways to innovate, but I've they're not it. going to remake the wheel. And I've Judd, the though, knows how they're going I've to do it. I've got the answer. Jarek McKinnon plays more. Ben Chadrian. Well, no, I mean, P no, Peterson should still play, but look, he had too many carries last year. He's 31. He is who he is. You're not going to change. I mean, if the Minnesota Vikings, honest to God, if Adrian shows up, and Zimmer made it very clear once again, because it's not allowed, he has no, Zimmer has no idea what Peterson's doing now. Peterson said, I'm improving myself. That's great. But Peterson is who he is. And because of that, and because of how this offense is going to function, Jarrett McKinnon needs to play more. Peterson used, needs to be used wisely, and that doesn't mean that he should be 
curtailed a lot. But if you if he shows up in Mankato and they go shotgun and say Peterson will be fine, they're idiots. Mar- idiots. Marrying the two is a legitimate need, though, in terms of if then if you just have Adrian on the field, that you know what they're doing. But what, what I'm mean? saying is, in my opinion, is yeah, Teddy's a year smarter. He's got a year more of experience. But Jarek McKinnon wasn't used nearly enough early last season. Oh, I agree. And yeah. he needs to be used more. And the way that you marry this all together, see, I think what we need to do is get past this. We need to get past this thought process that you're going to marry these two together. They're never going to be married together. They don't work that well together. They can both give a little bit and be better together, but they're always going to be somewhat of a dysfunctional couple. The marriage counselor is Jarek McKinnon. <laughs> Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon's the one who's going to tell them both to sit on a couch while he talks to them, and he's the guy who's going so to Jarek be. Jarek McKinnon's the other woman. You know what the weird part is? Oh, I can maybe. actually see Jarek McKinnon being a counselor, not necessarily a marriage counselor, but, but just, Jarek, he's one of those personable people. Instead, instead of marriage, let's put it this way. Peterson and Bridgewater are separated. What's going to glue them together? The presence of McKinnon. Wow. What are your March That's thoughts, Ben? I think that if you're talking about trying to make this thing work, and I think I agree with Judd that there is a ceiling to how much you're going to be able to make this thing meld together. Part of it, I think, is Adrian Peterson being there at OTAs and having some time to work in this offense before they get to training camp. Because he skipped those things before, right? He has. Yeah. And, I, you know, last year he was there probably more. Last year is almost a different thing yeah, because everything about last offseason was so different than the normal routine. It's a lot of the reason I probably have some gray hairs coming in. <laughs> That entire off season, but I wondered about that. That's probably part of well, it. Well, that jet black hair hurts you because it turns gray quickly. It does. It's it's uh, it's a curse of having TV I, hair, Jed. I feel so bad for you. Yeah, I, I'm sure you do. <laughs> but uh, no, I I think that off season probably is a little different because yeah. he had missed the first week, and they said, okay, you got to be here for the rest of it. Now, when he finally did come back in, but he's not been a guy that's been in a lot of these things in the past. I think when you are trying to make this work. When you have a new running backs coach in Kevin Stefanski and you have sort of said, I need to be better at this, this, and this, the time to work on that is in OTAs when you're installing stuff and trying to figure everything out. You can you can kind of strip things down to a pretty base level and say, okay, let's make sure that we, we understand your footwork, you understand your reads coming out of the gun. There's more time to work on all that stuff then than there is in training camp. Maybe you play him in the preseason. Oh, you definitely you might. Don't. Yeah, this is the this is the first preseason in a long time where if they don't play him, they deserve to be criticized. And if he does, God forbid, tear up his knee, you say that's a chance we took. Well, and I think when you I'm don't not he play plays him, quarters, but he he plays yeah, with the starters. Yeah. Well, and I think when you don't play him in the preseason, you are still sending that message of this is the one guy we can't afford to have anything happen to. You're going to play Teddy Bridgewater some in the preseason, right? You, you still are sort of sending this message of we have to put Adrian behind glass because he is the most important thing we have. And that might not be true anymore. It, it probably shouldn't be communicated in a way that you are banking on him that much again. Definitely. Guys, let's close uh, with the review game. Uh, just kind of mulling ideas of how we can get people to leave. I'm just being honest about just this. Just beg. Why don't you just uh, beg for it? Just being. Please I, I, leave I, your reviews. All right, I'll do that. Please leave your reviews on iTunes for us at the Purple Podcast. Uh, and subscribe on iTunes and do all that. But we've got one f- more fun way, Judd, to try to bring that out. There are a few reviews on there with some uh, good uh, adjectives and, and descriptions of uh, certain members of this podcast, past and present. And, and since Ben is such a new part of uh, the, I think this is now basically a month into you being a permanent fixture of this podcast, uh, there's not many people saying Ben is great or Ben is awful, but there are plenty about Judd myself and Derek Wetmore who used to host this with me so Ben I'm going to read off a few of these descriptions of the names taken out and you are going to tell me who that is about now we've only got okay. a few of them but it should be pretty interesting I'm ready to go we'll just start off uh, right away blank keeps things real is that about Derek myself or Judd boy um Judd Perfect. And I don't have any special sound effects, so I'll just have to say ding, ding, ding. You are absolutely correct. That is about we Judd. We need to Judd. get sound effects You for this keep thing. things Here real. Which is code for he's a negative SOB. <laughs> There's a few more in there that said that, but I said that's too obvious. I can't put that in there. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, so blank is too quick to agree with sometimes absurd things. 
Is that about Derek, myself, or Judd? You. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You're two for two. This is your people who are mad when you agree with me. I guarantee that. And those are the absurd things yes, I think that people are I talking absurd, about. Because they think that I, they think, oh, you're, you, you don't like the Vikings. You're a Packer fan. Blank is an excellent host. <laughs> well, you're the host of the show, so. I haven't been the only host of the show. It's Wetmore's mother. Derek? It's Wetmore's mother. Wetmore's yeah, mom. Correct. We like to hear him ramble on about it. That West Bloomington <laughs> thing to do, too, is to go on there and, Derek's such a nice boy. <laughs> I'm going to say Derek. That is about Derek, yes. <laughs> I just, I, I wouldn't bring Hi, that Mrs. Wetmore. up about myself, but you are probably correct. Now, this is another obvious one. Before we get into two uh, uh, burners that I think are actually pretty good, Blank's Takes. Trend toward the hot Judd. side. All right. Didn't even need to finish that. You heard hot takes. That is absolutely Judd Zolgad. The last two. Unfortunately, blank blathers on Me. about himself every other podcast <laughs> to the point where I skip ahead until he's done speaking. It's not me. It's not you. It's no, either it's, myself, it's Derek. Derek Wetmore, or Judd it's Zolgad. Derek Wetmore. Why do, you th- why do you think that's Derek? <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here. Because Derek likes to think that Derek is... <laughs> The discerning type of sports writer. Most of us sit here and talk about offensive lines in March. Derek's mind is on higher things than that. <laughs> Derek grew up in not Richfield, not Egan, this Tony, coming, not East Bloomington, but prestigious Tony, Tony West Posh yes. West Bloomington. By this is coming class, from the right? Apple Valley graduate. Oh, it's totally different. Going to baseball hey, Apple Valley? I just wanted to set the Lohman's stage. Plaza. Oh yeah, driving up and down Highway 100, <laughs> too good for too good for 35 he is, W. He cannot be brought down to the lowbrow minutia yep. that the rest of us waste our time with. He has soliloquies. He has he had no time. Big you know what? On the I can world. hear the suburban you know rival just oozing out of. He's this one stuff. of those There's no rival. We smoke them in everything. <laughs> Derek's Derek's from the fan. Derek's from a family that looked at the Mall of Scoreboard. America and rolled their eyes and said, "We're going to Southdale today." <laughs> And they only go to Southdale. Those are the people that keep Southdale in business. The people that look at the Mall of America. And, and I Cordero Patterson. That's because yeah. he doesn't want to be spotted at the Mall of America. Exactly. So that's what Derek is. <laughs> that's perfect. I love that. That was a great description. And I'll have to tag Derek Wetmore when we share this podcast. The final one. Blank is obnoxious and arrogant. And I've wanted to punch him in the face from the first time I heard him. Mm, not me? No, that's oh. not about you. That is either about myself, Judd Zolgad, or Derek Wetmore. <laughs> uh i've I, let me just go on the record and say that i don't personally think this <laughs> but I, I think it's probably about you you're absolutely correct that is I six, it. six for six ben gessling's first ever review game nice work gessling that is about me and the actual post is much longer than that Ooh. it goes on for go back quite and read this later. later can we hear for some more of it oh no we can't because i've got it up love the podcast comma except for the main part Andrew Kramer, I just don't like him. I think he's obnoxious and arrogant. I've wanted to punch him in the face from the first time I heard him. He just comes across as a smug little douche. Can we say that on the podcast? I'll yeah, it oh, for sure. I'll bleep it it's out. It's a podcast. No, I think you seems, swear on podcasts. Seems a little immature, which is not wrong. I always picture him living in a frat-type house with three dudes, drinking PBRs, <laughs> and this person hates me, and I, I just I get a kick out so of it. So far, he's really skewing accurate. So Hold going. up, hold up. PBR, not no. the frat thing or the PBR thing uh, or these You next... sound like you might belong to a frat. You don't, but I you do sound, sound like You it. sort of sound fratty. I, I do. I sound very white and fratty. That's that's. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. You could you're, easily be You're absolutely Diana. right, but I don't. Derek could also be fratty. Yeah, Derek, he would be Derek like the would frat, have no, no, fraternity he be, brothers. He would be the business school. Frat. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have a Carlson school degree. I'm the beer pong frat. Yeah, in Kramer, yeah. Kramer's defense, <laughs> Kramer is the, the, the douche who on Friday lives on frat row and is like, Walks down to the bars, the library. You're at. Yes. Uh, um, Thank you. Oh, what's what's the one where they go for hockey players? We're caught drinking years. Blarney. You're at Blarney. Yeah, Blarney's uh, Brino Loco. Wetmore's go got like Wetmore's towed after hanging on Brino Loco once in college. Wetmore's <laughs> got the um, got the suit. Uh, the Three suit days. or the or the uh, sweater on yep. the Argyle sweater, <laughs> and his frat is pristine. Your frat's got beer bottles beer cans and puke strewn about it 
Wetmore's got books. So Peter I'd much rather go. Culture. So I'd much rather go to Kramer's frat than Wetmore's frat. And this, I was only halfway through this review. <laughs> this guy just goes on. But I love that. I absolutely love that you guys are right. Um, this person. <laughs> you this just pers- agreed with an absurd take. This, this person uh, ends it. No, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that I sound like I belong to that frat. But it didn't. The reality was that I lived in a, a house where, yes, we threw a lot of parties and it looked like a frat house. But I always thought personally the frat atmosphere. Do you think fostered a culture that could be uh, hurtful and, and uh, just not good? Do you think people would warm up to you if we made an effort to humanize you a bit? Maybe, for example, telling people that you really like hugs? <laughs> I really like hugs. He does. The backstory on that is I can't stand people touching me, uh, unwanted touching. I'm with um, Kramer in this guest. I'm, just, I'm not I somebody. And so when they found this out in the Viking media room, they immediately pounced on it. And every time somebody sees me, I'm greeted with a hug or some kind of uncomfortable, awkward touch. The hug is usually me. If it goes beyond that, is it is the province of Mad Vincent. Yeah, the Star Tribune uh, beat writer. Yep. I'm anyway, com- this person. I'm with you, Kramer, on this. I'm not comfortable with hugs. Yeah, we're done. Right, to, to finish ribbing on me, look, he gives solid info and seems professional. I just can't stand anything about him. So if you, <laughs> no, so if you love the Vikings like I do, you'll suffer through it week after week because there are no alternatives. Well, hey, at least we're the good Viking podcast, but that's Probably that's great. Oh no, I missed one part. I wish we were talent. He were talented enough to get a promotion and go cover another team. Wow, I'm working on that, guys. I'm working on that. Wow. I love this one. Uh, I, love I got this bad one. news for him. A promotion would not involve though leaving the Vikings beat. On this town. There's no team in this town where you'd be promoted. Oh, no, no, no. I think they meant, like, leave town. Like, oh. take your talents to South Beach kind of thing. Oh, like, okay. I was going to say, because yeah, no, Twins no, Wild or Wolves would all be demotions. I'm wondering if this is an ex-girlfriend, because some of those things you write are eerily accurate. Others are, are kind of off-base. They seem to know you pretty well, or at least think they do. <laughs> I think the thing they do pretty part. deep. That's good, though. I like that. I like that. Bring more, please. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Subscribe. Go on to Podcast One. Download the app. Do all the things so we can do this more. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I want to thank you for checking out this podcast. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. 95% of Uber Eats orders are on time, which is great. Because when I want my spicy shrimp pad thai, I want it on time. Because, baby, there's no time like the present, especially when it's pad thai related. But on the off chance your order is late, Uber Eats will give you three months, $0 delivery fee with a free Uber One membership. On time, pad time, baby. On time claim based on latest arrival time shown after order is placed. Offer ends to 19-2023. Current Uber One members not eligible. Subscription will auto-renew at $9.99 each month, starting three months from initial enrollment. See Uber.com slash Uber One for terms. Benefits available only for eligible stores. Order minimum supply.